0: pride is the mother who is pregnant with all other sins i challenge you to name a sin that doesn't have its roots in pride i'll wait because it's not gonna happen that there's the answer to our original question presented by malachi why did god say that he hated esau he hated esau because of his pride clear answer god hates Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel San Juan Capistrano. Oh, here we are, and here I am. Uh, Andrew, like like Billy said, Andrew is on a much-needed vacation. Praise God for that. Um. You know, and just so you guys know, I see Andrew almost every single day of my life, and uh, I'm so thankful for him and for the way that he stewards uh, his calling in this ministry here. He's a a faithful man when nobody's watching, or he doesn't think anybody's watching. I see a faithful man of God, and uh, you guys got got a good dude here. So I'm very thankful for Andrew. It's because of Andrew uh, that I'm standing here right now. Uh, How many of you guys were here for his teaching through the gifts of the Spirit? Yeah, I don't know when that was. Maybe a year ago? Maybe a little less? Um, When we were going through those gifts is when um, I was, I think that's when I moved to Oceanside. So I I was driving from Joshua Tree down here for like eight months, uh, helping out with the worship team. I play guitar on the worship team. And uh, I was here for the study that Andrew did. It was a teaching that he did on the gift of teaching. And it was over in the the greenhouse. And during that teaching, um, I felt like the gift of teaching that the Lord had placed in me was stirred up. Um, Stupidly, I went to Andrew and said, hey, man, for accountability's sake, uh, this is what I think the Lord was stirring up in me. And Andrew's like, I'm going to keep that in mind. And here we are, (laughs) eight months later. Um, So he's giving me the book of Obadiah. How many of you guys know anything about Obadiah? Anybody? Come on, let's go. (laughs) Well, bless God, okay. It's getting there for me now. I'll be honest with you guys, going into this book, I was borderline oblivious. If you would have said, who is Obadiah and what's the book about? I would have said, I'm not sure. I'll get back to you. Um, but though it is the shortest book in the Old Testament, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of rich truth found here. Uh, it's been said by some that if you took an exacto knife and in one foul swoop cut that page out of the Bible, that probably nobody would notice. Except you, brother. <laughs> I know you'd notice. <laughs> But I'll tell you one thing, and we'll, I want you guys to keep this in mind. If Obadiah did not exist in the Bible as we know it, uh, we would never get the answer to the question presented in the book of Malachi chapter 1. When it's, this, this would be the question, why did God say that he hated Esau? Obadiah holds that answer. In Malachi 1 it says, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Let's dig into this book and see what the Lord would have for us tonight. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Uh, Lord, right now, personally um, and corporately, we submit to your authority in this place. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give me a fresh feeling that only what you would like to communicate would come forth from my mouth and nothing else, nothing less, nothing of me, but only you, Lord God. And I pray that tonight for all of us, uh, that you would open our understanding, Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts with sharp conviction. And that from that conviction would come repentance and restoration, and that we would be in right standing with you and have a proper understanding of what you are saying to us this evening. Thank you, Lord, ahead of time. In Jesus' name, somebody said, Amen. Okay, so Obadiah. You know, I'm a huge fan of Jay Vernon McGee. Anybody? Jay Vernon? Yeah. He's one of the guys where if I hear him come on the radio, I just sit in my car till it's over. Because I love that guy. But I can't say the name of this book without thinking of Jay Vern. And, and in my mind, I always pronounce it Obadiah. So if I say it like that, forgive me. Because that's how he says it and that's my guy. So Obadiah. You can turn there in your Bibles. Obadiah chapter 1. Like I said, there's only 21 verses. And verse 1 says, the vision of Obadiah. Let's stop right there. Question, who is Obadiah. Here's what we know. He's the prophet who penned this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Where was he born? Where did he live? Who are his parents? No idea. We do not know. What do we know? Here's a cool thing. Obadiah in the Hebrew, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it's something like Obadiah in the Hebrew. And it means servant of Yahweh or worshiper of Yahweh. Same thing. There are dozens of Obadiahs, over a dozen in the Old Testament, and this this particular Obadiah is not any of those. So keep that in mind. (laughs) When was the book written? Here's something we kind of know. Somewhere between 586 and 553 B.C. Why? Because he references the Babylonian invasion on Israel, and we know that took place in 586 B.C. So we're guessing it's somewhere right there. Who is Obadiah writing to? This is a unique thing to Obadiah. Most of the prophets write to whom? Anybody? The nation of Israel, right? Obadiah is not writing to the nation of Israel. He's writing to the nation of Edom. Yeah. So it continues in chapter 1. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. So now the question comes up, what or who is Edom? Well, Edom and the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. Sing it with me, Father Abraham. I'm just kidding, don't sing it with me. Esau, so it starts with Abraham, right? From Abraham comes Isaac, and from Isaac comes Esau and Jacob. Uh, in order for us to understand what's happening here in Obadiah, we need to unpack the relationship between Jacob and Esau a little bit, because that's what this book concerns mostly. Uh, so, in the book of Genesis, chapter 25, verses 21 through 28, we see kind of the beginning of this relationship. Isaac, the son of Abraham, pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea. And Rebecca, Jacob's wife, conceived. But the children together within her, children, so they're twins, <clears throat> they struggled together in her womb. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples shall be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. (laughs) He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau, which means hairy. H-A-R-Y, not R-R-Y. Anyways. Uh, they called him Esau. After, after this, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, which means deceiver or manipulator. Isaac was 60 years old when his wife bore them, so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful, skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, But Rebekah loved Jacob. So Esau, one of the sons, the firstborn, was red and hairy. Esau means hairy. He's the man of the field, a skilled hunter, and the color red. Jacob, can you guys think of any uh, burly dudes that are kind of the color red? (laughs) Jacob means deceiver or manipulator he was a man of the tents (laughs) a mama's boy another translation calls him a smooth man and that doesn't mean like a smooth operator don't (laughs) don't put that on jacob it means like smooth like he wasn't hairy he was just just a smooth guy (laughs) (laughs) so these are the brothers. We see them quarreling already in Rebecca's womb. It's a precursor of what's to come. Now further on in this chapter, we see Esau give up his birthright. We know the story, but it says Jacob cooked a stew. See Jacob's at home, man of the tents, right, with his mama watching the, uh, the Food Network, <laughs> cooking up a stew. Esau's in the field, and he comes in and was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. (laughs) This is another place where, this is where Esau gets the nickname Edom. Edom meaning red. Esau was red, the stew was red. So they call him red. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. What is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. He ate, drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Crazy. So Esau, right here, the red man, gives away his birthright. What is a birthright? What does that mean to them? Like, what is the the value of their birthright? Three things. Number one, the birthright of the firstborn son would receive twice the inheritance from his father. One practical thing. Number two, he would receive the paternal from his father, the blessing from his father. And number three, that son was to become the patriarch of the family moving forward. So Esau was willing to trade the blessing of heaven for the appetite of the flesh. It wasn't because he was starving to death. There was no famine in the land at that time. But it was because he didn't consider his birthright something that was important enough to hold on to. In Genesis 27, moving forward, Jacob and his mother Rebekah deceive Isaac into giving Jacob his blessing. It's funny because in order to deceive his dad... (laughs) into thinking he was Esau, the man red. He puts goat hide on his arms (laughs) and the back of his neck. He rubs dirt from the field on himself (laughs) so that he will smell like his brother and feel like his brother because their father, Isaac, was already pretty much blind at this time. So he still had his other senses. So he's like, well, if he's going to feel me, if I get close enough... I should probably put goat hide on my neck and arms. And Esau smells a certain type of way, so I better rub some dirt from the field on myself so that I can deceive my dad into thinking I'm him. (laughs) Interesting picture we see of Esau here. But from that time that Jacob deceived Isaac into giving him his blessing, Esau comes in after that and is like, Father, I did what you told me to do. The father said, hey, he calls Esau to himself. He's like, look, man, I'm getting old. I'm blind. Here's what I want you to do. Go out in the field. Hunt me one of them big goats you can catch or something. Make that stew I love. Bring it back. I'll eat, and I'll bless you. And Esau is like, say less. Goes to do it. While he goes to do it, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, hears him say that and goes to the mama's boy and says, hey, your dad's about to bless your brother go get me some of the goats from the pen. I'll make that same stew. We'll put the hair on you and rub the dirt. You go in there, you get the blessing. So they worked together to do that. After they did, Esau comes in and he's like, Father, I did what you asked. He comes with his his bowl and he's like, I did what you asked, here's that stew. I made it. And his dad's like, oh man, I messed up. See, your brother came in and he felt like a goat. I thought it was you. He smelled like the field. And I gave him your blessing. And it says this in Genesis 27, verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, notice that there. It doesn't say out loud. It says in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Esau sets this in his heart. It says he'll kill his brother Jacob. And it says that he hated his brother because of what he did to him. Though later on in their story, the brothers would come to, um, they would kind of make amends in a way. Uh, Esau would pass over Jacob and not destroy him when he gets a chance. But that animosity that was born through these acts of deception would carry on into their Uh, descendants so though they did make amends at one point their descendants held on to that original animosity and were at odds with each other uh, all the way to the end so from Jacob if you guys didn't realize already from Jacob would come Israel the Israelites and from Esau the Edomites So here, let's continue in Obadiah, still in verse 1. We've heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Verse 2. Behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you shall be greatly despised. This whole section here, verses 1 through 14, is judgment on Edom, the city. Verse three, I want you guys to underline this if that's what you do with your Bible. If you're taking notes, write down Obadiah 1, 3 and put a big star next to it because this is the crux of this book. The pride of your heart has deceived you. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after, All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you, and no one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom, and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Temin, shall be dismayed. ...to the end that everyone from the mountain of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces... ...when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother, in the day of his captivity nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly, there's that word again, in the day of distress. You should, have, you should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those Among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. So it's gnarly. I mean, the Lord's giving a serious charge against Edom. And the crazy thing about Edom is the people that we see, the Edomites, it is a picture of the heart state of Esau. So we see Esau, we see that he had hate in his heart. And here we see in verse 3, like I showed you, the pride of your heart has deceived you. I don't want to know what a city would look like if they took the inner parts of my heart and made a people out of it. But that's what this is for Esau. They took basically Esau's descendants became a picture of what was in his heart, that hatred and pride, and made into a people. And a spectacle for everybody to see. And in verses 11 through 13, we see the way that Edom sinned against Jacob. In this way, it says in verse 11, they refused to help a brother in need. That was one. In verse 12, oh, it says they stood on the other side and watched it happen. In verse 12, they rejoiced over Israel's misfortune And 13, they took advantage of Israel while they were down. The crazy thing is the Edomites had an opportunity to help the children of Israel when they were ransacked by Babylon. Babylon comes in and lays waste to this part of Israel here. And the Edomites sit across. And it says right here that as some of the Israelites tried to escape, they cut them off at the pass. Like, yo, man, you're not going anywhere. As they were getting their stuff stolen, they came in as well. And were like, you know what? Matter of fact, we're going to take some of this stuff too. And when they had a chance to help them, they did nothing. They stood across and watched as Babylon came in and laid waste to the Israelites at that point. And God saw it all. And in these verses, he calls them out for it. And gives a judgment. Verses 1 through 14 in the book of Obadiah are judgment against Edom. In 15, it it opens up to judgment against anybody with that prideful heart state. But in 1 through 14, it's very specifically them. So I want to remind you of this. The way they sinned against Jacob in that way. Proverbs warns us of that type of sin in Proverbs twenty four seventeen and 18. It says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. So that's, that's one way that they sinned against Israel was the way they stood by while they got attacked the way that they rejoiced over Israel's misfortune, and the way that they came in and took things from Israel after they had already been beaten down. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a similar position? What do I mean? I mean where somebody has wronged you and you see the Lord dunk on them. You ever, seen, you ever been in that position before? Somebody does you dirty. Anybody ever done you dirty in life? Right? If they haven't yet, unfortunately, you just wait. (laughs) I don't mean to be pessimistic, but the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who could know it? And a lot of times, you know, whether they mean to or not, people will do you dirty. This happened to me recently, to be honest. Uh, I won't go into detail, but, you know, there have been a lot of times where People have tried to try to do me dirty, try to take me out, you know, lie on my name, or a whole plethora of different things. I've seen a lot of things in this life. But I'll tell you this: I, only recently someone was really coming after me, and I, I didn't really understand why. I think it was a spiritual thing, you know I just I couldn't really discern apart from that and uh, I began to watch the Lord begin to sort that situation out himself, uh, and I knew it. In my heart, there, there was a brief moment where I had the opportunity to go, get him, Lord. Yeah, don't forget that, that, hey, that dude said this too, Lord. Twist his ear a little bit harder if you can. There was that moment, but because not only have, you know, have I been in situations where people have, you know, come against me in that way. Um, I've also been dunked on by the Lord multiple times myself, so I know what it feels like. And uh, as quick as I might have, you know, thought about rejoicing over the Lord's chastisement against them, uh, I remembered what he's capable of doing against me. And my prayer immediately turned from get them to... Have mercy on them. Um, and it's tough, man. It's tough. It's tough to, to have that kind of heart state when everything in you just says vengeance, you know, or everything in you says payback. But, you know, think about how the Lord treats you. If he was only after payback, Jesus would have never come. Right? If all he wanted was retribution for how you wronged him... Why did he send his son to die in our place, right? What happens in those situations is between them and God, and we got to stay out of the way. You can do your best to take it as a warning of what could happen to us instead of some kind of weird, you know, cosmic karma of what they deserved. You don't know what they deserve. The Lord does. Let him do his thing. And like I said, there's so much here, but, but the crux of this passage is that verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Man, how many times could I say that to myself? I could look in the mirror and say, Brendan, the pride of your heart has deceived you. It has been said, if you're taking notes, I would write this down. This quote stayed with me since I was, well, since I was probably your age. <laughs> Pride is the mother who is pregnant with all other sins. Let that sink in. Pride is the mother who is pregnant with all other sins. I challenge you to name a sin that doesn't have its roots in pride. I'll wait because it's not going to happen. It's where they come from. That there is the answer to our original question presented by Malachi, why did God say that he hated Esau? He hated Esau because of his pride. Clear answer, God hates pride. (laughs) Interesting fact about Edom. Edom in the Hebrew, if you look up the letters, same exact letters as Adam, the first man. Adam in Hebrew means humanity. Edom and Adam share all the same letters, showing us that the sin that was in Edom's heart, in this nation's heart coming from Esau, that deceived them is a type of the same kind of sin as humanity that we all deal with, the sin of pride. It's a warning to all of us against the destructive nature of pride and its subsequent children. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, these six things the Lord Hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And number one, a proud look. Number one, pride. What is pride? I think in its most simple definition, you could say this. Pride of heart is the attitude of a life that declares its ability to live without God. Simply like that. What is pride? Pride is the attitude of your heart that says I can live without without God. And just, just as a quick side note, man, I know this used to trip me out when I was a young man, but I used to think, you know, <laughs> I used to think pride was like, if someone says, oh, man, you know, he really takes pride in the way that he keeps his bed made, you know, it's not the same thing. Or if I tell my daughter, little Azalea, if I say, man, you, you know, we're learning how to ride, for her to ride a bike right now. It's a little bit late. She's seven. Don't judge me. But instead, I swear if she was a boy, she would have already had it. And I don't mean that in a weird way. I just mean I would have pushed her down a hill already. But because she's a little girl, I, like, can't let go to that seat. I'm, like, running next to her, and I'm like, it's time to let go. But I can't. But if that was a little boy, I would have straight kicked him down the hill. yeah, you got it, man. So anyways, we're working on it. And she's getting it, we're getting there. It's funny, it's funny too, like seeing her little heart because she's like, she got a lisp and she just lost her other tooth in the front so she's got no front teeth, like no four of these. And she's like, Daddy, how many seconds will I have to balance for you to post me on YouTube? I'm like, what? How do you know about YouTube? Why do you want to be posted on there? What do you think that means, you know? She's like, how many seconds? I tell you what, you balance for 12 seconds by yourself, I'll post that on YouTube. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Every single time, it doesn't matter if it was two seconds or 10 seconds, she looked like, how many seconds? Nine seconds. Oh. It's just funny, man. (laughs) That's funny. I love that little girl. But that's not what pride is. It's not the same thing. Like when I look at Azalea and say, I'm so proud of you, you bounced for 10 seconds. You almost got posted on YouTube. That's <laughs> not, that's not what the Bible's talking about here. If they're talking about pride. That's the attitude that says, I could live a life without God. Right? That's the easiest way to think about it. So don't, yeah, don't get tripped up when you hear things like, or like, you know. If someone's singing, proud to be an American, you don't have to not sing that line because you feel like you're sinning against God. You could be proud to be American. You know, that's okay. <laughs> but if you think that being American, uh, you know, would, you could live life as an American without God and be okay, that's where pr- real pride comes in. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, I just want to clear that up because I know when I was young, anytime, like, the word pride or the word proud would come up, I'd be like, not me. I'm not proud of anything I've ever done. (laughs) Anyways, maybe you're not as uh, legalistic as I was. Hopefully not. Pride, when you think about it, and we're going to camp here for just a second, pride was really the first sin, right? Before Adam and Eve ever partook of the forbidden fruit, Satan said, where? In his heart. Just like Esau. Satan said, in his heart. Very similar things to what we see in verse 4. So what does verse 4 say in Obadiah? Verse 4 says, To Edom, though you ascend as high as the eagle and though you set your nest among the stars, I'll bring you down. Right? Satan says, in the book of Isaiah chapter 14, Speaking of him, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said, Here it is again, in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. We see it again, that verse 3. It's the pride in your heart that has deceived you. That same pride that we saw in Satan. That same pride that we're all born with a proclivity toward. We can't help it, man. We're born in this thing with a fallen nature. It's who we are. We have to be born again for those things not to be part of our DNA. But when you're born, because of the original sin in the garden, Adam and Eve were told you could eat every tree here, all the fruit you see except this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did they do? They did. They ate it. They were deceived by this same person that we're reading about who had the same pride in his heart. And he says, did God really say and casts doubt in their minds, and they take a stance of pride and say, you know what, I'd like to be like God, and they eat. From there on, from the seed of Adam, sin is transferred to every single human ever born of all time. And so it leaves us stuck. How then, if the curse of their sin comes down through the seed of man, how then can we be saved? Not one of us that sit here were brought into this world without the seed of man, that original seed of Adam. We all have a dad, you know? So to remedy that, God said, I'm going to send my son. He won't have the seed of man. He'll have the seed of the Holy Spirit. And he'll be conceived by the Spirit through a virgin. So Jesus is born without that nature (laughs) so that he can break the curse. There was no other way for that curse to be broken. We were going to be just like Satan was. We were going to say, I could do this on my own, and that pride in our hearts would have never died. But Jesus himself stepped into time, (sighs) swerving that curse, Coming into the world born of the spirit and not of just man. Fully God and at the same time fully man on his mom's side. (laughs) And the best part was juxtaposition to Satan. Satan has pride in his heart. Jesus, it says, the Bible says that he was obedient to the point of death, that he humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself (laughs) and was obedient to the point of death. So we see... Satan, who has no rightful claim to the throne of God, says, I'm going to take it. I could be right there. The pride in his heart said this. In his heart he said it. Man, you think it's only the things you say out loud that condemn you. (laughs) You think it's only the things that you say to someone else. Man, I, I should be up there right now. The Bible says that if you say it in your heart, the Lord hears it. The Bible says that he hears the thoughts and the intents of man's heart. So you're not safe just by not saying that out loud. I'm sorry. I wish you were, because I would have been saved from a lot of things. But we're not. It's the pride in Satan's heart. The same pride that we see in the Edomites. They thought because of their lofty position, Edom, I didn't really explain, but Eat them geographically, um, it's it's in this windy canyon. So at one point in the canyon, it's hard for one man on one horse to get through. The horse has to do that whole like, boop, you know, you know, horses do that thing where they look all, oh. anyways, a horse would have to kind of maneuver through just to get through this this narrow path. And, you know, if you know anything about, not that I do, but the tactics of war, <laughs> You know that if you can funnel your enemy into a small position, you could cut him off at the pass. So they had that as a natural defense because of the rocks they lived in. Also, their city, the, the, the city of Petra, is hewn straight out of rocks. So like they lived above everybody else in this narrow canyon up in the rocks. They were cleft out of the rocks themselves, and they, that's where they lived. So they thought, hey, man, nobody can touch us. First of all, we're going to see you coming from a mile away. Second of all, we're way up here in the rocks. What are you going to do? You know what I'm saying? There's no, like, projectile bombs and stuff at this time. You you can't shoot arrows at us or cut us with a sword up here in this rock. So they thought they were untouchable. And, though you know, that may have been true tactically, but it was the pride in their heart that would be their destruction ultimately. Didn't matter what the city looked like. Didn't matter how fortified they were. Didn't matter how untouchable they thought they were. The pride in their heart is what led to their destruction. Pride never ends well. <laughs> so even if we think something secret, there is nothing hidden from God. And the thing about God that I love and that you need to love too is that he doesn't share his glory with anybody. It says it in Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory I will not give to another. Pride is you saying that you deserve some of that glory. And God says, I don't share that with anybody. And he'll go out of his way to make sure that he doesn't. So I talked about Jesus being the juxtaposition to Satan. Satan showed us what pride looked like, what pride in the heart looked like. Esau had the same pride in his heart, birthing a whole nation, That showed that pride on display through a people group. Jesus is the opposite. Jesus, having claimed, Satan saw the throne and said, I could take it. I should sit right there. Jesus, having claimed to the throne, the rightful heir, he's the son of God. He said, No, no, no. I'll humble myself and be obedient. You see the difference? The Bible says this. Philippians chapter 2, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. This is our remedy to the pride that exists in our hearts. Being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Here it is. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, so what does God do when Jesus humbles himself? The Father says, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And if there is, I mean, even, even Job understood this. Job was like, yo, man. Search my heart because if there's anything in me that, like, rejoiced in my enemies getting dunked on or if there's any kind of secret pride that I'm holding on to, please search it that I could repent and be in right standing with you, you know? And it's crazy because those who think they have a case against God or those who think or those who desire the place where God is, those who operate in pride, You know, Job, for example, you know, it says that he didn't sin against God, but he definitely got to this place where he thought he had a little something. Some, he did. He says to God, he's like, man, if only there were, I'm paraphrasing, if only there were a divine courtroom that I could step into, and if only there was a cosmic mediator that would be my lawyer and defend me against you, oh, man, I'd have a case. He says this to God. He says, if this court existed, I I would walk in like a prince because you got nothing on me. And if you haven't read the book of Job in a while, it doesn't end well in that moment. The Bible says that God shows up in a whirlwind. He tells Job, gird up your loins like a man because we're going to have a conversation. God shows up in a whirlwind. And for chapters upon chapters, humbles job that's the thing about pride man the lord will sniff it out and he will stomp it out whether it's an ember or a flame he will stomp it out and he in his grace gives us the opportunity to repent from that pride so that he can have good standing with us or because he's a just god he will humble you one way or another He always does. Hmm. Job gets humbled. Job says, Man, if there was a court, pff, I'd win for sure. It wouldn't even be tough. I'd walk in like a prince. And God said, Who is this who speaks without understanding? Shows up in a whirlwind. Job's like, head high, chest up. Man, you're lucky there's not some kind of, some kind of cosmic courtroom, God, because you got nothing on me. And God says, really? And he just goes in on him. It's one of my favorite passages in all scripture. He's like, oh, really? He's like, well, let me ask you a question then, Job, since you know everything. Let me ask you a question. When I hung the earth, what, what was the plumb line? What did I use to keep, make sure it was straight? Surely you know, right? And Job's like, uh-oh. <laughs> God doesn't stop, man. He goes in for like three chapters straight. And then he's like, what did, I hung, what did I hang the sun with? When the ocean stops right here, when it goes just there and no further, who, who keeps it there? You know, right? Like, you know how that happens. And Job's like, oh, no. So Job gets this quick chance to speak, and Job says, I have spoken once. I won't speak twice. He says, I said things too wonderful for me to understand. And he falls on his face and he says, I'm sorry, you're God, I'm not. And the Lord, right then and there, dunks on him again. It's one of the greatest things because he came at Job on this cosmic level and was like, What holds the earth and what stops the ocean and who put the sun there? And who put the. He goes into like the whole animal kingdom on him. And he's like, hey, when that one super rare goat gives birth and it goes around that mountain a certain way, where exactly does it go when his babies are born? And Job's like, I already told you, man. <laughs> I spoke things too wonderful. Remember that whole thing? And God's like, he just toys with them. But he's like, the Leviathan is this huge sea creature, right? And he says, hey, man, you, got some, you had some little girls could you just throw, you know, cast cast a pole in the water, hook Leviathan, bring them in and uh, make them a pet for your daughters. You could do that, right? And Job's like, oh, man, please. <laughs> please just stop. So the Lord goes on him again for a few more chapters. Job shaves his head, falls on his face and repents and says, man, I understand. You're God and I'm not. Any pride that was in him was completely decimated. It's not there anymore. And that's the thing. Pride, it's a simple definition. Thinking that you can live a life without God. Basically, that puts you in the place of God. If you say, I could do this without you, that's basically saying, I could be autonomous. I could be my own little God. It just doesn't work. And the way that Job experienced Being humbled in that time is an example for us because all God did was reveal just a shred, a little teeny piece of what he does in one moment of one day at one time. At one time, like sustaining all of us, keeping the earth in rotation, making sure that goat gets to the right place on the mountain so that its babies can be born. All these things that you wouldn't even know to think about. And God says, this is what I do in that fast all the time, nonstop. And the remedy to our pride is a proper interpretation, a proper view of who God is. If ever you start to feel that pride well up in your heart, take the position of Jesus and say, it's you on the throne and I'll humble myself to the point of obedience every single time. I'm not God and I don't claim to be. I don't want to. I don't want that job. I'll be Job. I'll shave my head and sit here in the dirt as long as I have to until you realize that (laughs) I'm not trying to take your job. If Jesus humbled himself to obedience, then I think we need to do the same thing. And remember Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians. John shared this recently going through 1 Corinthians. But Paul says, what do you have that you didn't receive? And, man, that is such a great question to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself if you're ever feeling super cool. If you ever feel that pride in your heart and you think, man, what's the remedy for this? Go look in the mirror and say, what do you have that you didn't receive? And Paul, Paul already knows the answer. And he says, if you received it, why do you act like you didn't? That's it. Everything we have is a gift from God. The breath in our lungs currently, the involuntary heartbeat, the way our brain is firing at this moment. Everything that we have is from God. There's not a moment that you can be what he is. Everything would fall into chaos. So tonight, I just pray and encourage you guys not to go the way of Edom. Esau said in his heart, he hated Jacob and he'd kill him. The people that were born from him and the nation that rose from that heart state had the sin of pride in their heart built in. And the Lord brought them to ruin. The rest of the chapter is this. For the day of the Lord upon all nations is near. You have done it shall, What you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head, for as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. Verse 17, but on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. Ooh, man. This verse 18. Put a star next to this. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor, survivor shall remain of the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. Scary. Like, that's just scary. If you're just being honest with yourself, that's scary. <laughs> I would never, ever want my name to be in that position when the Lord says, Your house will be stubble. And the crazy thing is, This prophecy that Obadiah spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Obadiah, there's only one chapter, verse 18, comes to fruition 600 years later. In the year 70 AD, the prophecy of the destruction of Edom came to pass. And just a reminder, just like every other prophecy and promise that God ever put in place, will come or has come to pass, just a reminder, but in 70 A.D., the Romans came against Israel and the Edomites this time, which is, which is interesting because when Babylon ransacked Israel, Edom watched and then came and took their stuff when they were done and cut some of them off at the pass. and was like, no, you can't escape either. When Rome came against the Israelites, the Edomites actually stepped in to help. But it was too little too late, unfortunately. And the prophecy that Obadiah spoke about the house of Esau coming to stubble happened very literally. The Romans came against Israel, the Edomites came to help, and they were burned in the the Roman fires. Every last one of them, to where it says that not an Edomite remained. Gnarly. It says they were no more. Verse 19, the south shall possess the mountains of Esau and the lowland shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead and the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the south. Then Savior shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Hmm. At the end of the day, friends, the things that are done out of pride, out of selfish ambition will burn. But the things that are done in humility and in the name of the Lord, those things will last. Tonight, ask the Lord to search your heart. If there's any pride you've been holding on to, ask him to take it. If you are struggling with letting go of something, maybe someone's done you wrong, and you just want to see them get what they have coming to them, give it to the Lord tonight. I would encourage you to do that. That has nothing to do with you, man. You got a whole plethora of things that you could work on before you have to worry about anybody else. I promise you that. There's a plank in your eye and just a little speck in theirs. Get with the Lord tonight as we close in worship. Ask him to search your heart. If there is any pride that comes up, this is my encouragement to you, repent quickly. Forgive me, Lord. Take that pride away from me. You are God, I am not. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that it's your goodness that leads us to repentance. And Lord God, it is your goodness that would expose sin in us. So, Lord God, as we close in this time of worship holy spirit i just pray that anything that you want to bring to the surface of our hearts and deal with tonight that you would have free reign to do that lord anything that we've been holding on to even things that we might be unaware of little little edoms that we've built in our hearts lord god we pray that you would bring them down lord god that you would help us to embrace humility just like jesus did that that mind would be in us which was also in christ where he humbled himself and was willing to be obedient even to the point of death on a cross lord god we want to be obedient we want to be a humble people that look to you for all things we don't have control we don't have (laughs) we don't hold out our hand and everything that's ever been created inside of it but you do Lord you are God and we are not so we pray that you would be exalted